Section 2.0, 10 people to watch. Section 2.1, we're all going to make it. In the past, I've avoided the urge to give everyone a spot on the list because it felt like a cop-out and the sign of a market top. What's different this time is the emphasis we're beginning to see on learning, earning, and contributing as a path to riches versus mere passive speculation. We're all going to make it is my favorite crypto meme in years. It says, we're still early without coming across like an obnoxious early MLM punter. It's a memeable twist on the famous Balaji quip, win and help win, which is a personal favorite, and it embodies more mission alignment and altruism than other crypto Twitter favorite, up only. We're all going to make it embodies crypto's cultural transformation from the down with the government, let's move to a citadel crowd, to the let's fix the future with better tech, aligned incentives, and other builders crowd. We're all going to make it includes you, assuming you're reading this report with an open mind. Welcome. And if you're still skeptical of crypto, no sweat. Just don't be openly hostile and closed-minded to its potential. Bad faith critics like Jamie Dimon are not going to make it. Seriously, though, Dimon's thoughts on crypto over the years have been consistent and consistently wrong. He's called it a terrible store of value in 2014, said it will not survive and will be stopped in 2015. It's going nowhere in 2016 and is a fraud in 2017. Told interviewers, I don't really give a shit about crypto in 2018, then launched JPM coin pilots in 2019, admitted it's not my cup of tea in 2020, and then tripled down on his dismissiveness this fall by saying, I have no interest in it, that it's fool's gold and worthless. Don't be like Jamie. He's not going to make it. Section 2.2, the big guys, Samani, CMS, and Suzu. Big year for the big guys. Yes, a lot of amazing tech has been built. And yes, there are amazing founders who deserve high praise. They're all covered elsewhere in this section and broader report. But let's be honest, it was, above all, a banner year for whales, specifically the big investors who pulled through the 2018 bear market intact and lived to realize some of the biggest wins of 2021. Kyle Samani's multi-coin capital had a historic year by crypto standards and venture capital standards, period, with multiple billion-dollar winning bets across a variety of crypto segments. The Graph, Helium, Arweave, Solana all reached billion-dollar network status this year, and the rumor is multi-coin eclipsed $10 billion in assets under management in the process. Retail investors follow crypto's hot hands, and no one has been more on the mark with moonshot seed investments than Multicoin. They talk their book via public investment memos, but I've learned a lot from them even when I've been on the wrong side of the thesis. Fucking Zcash. On the other side of the world, another giant looms, Suju's Three Arrows Capital has amassed one of the largest funds in Asia and boasts one of the top performing portfolios in their own right. They were also one of the biggest bettors on the Grayscale Trust Trade in 2020, clipping double-digit premiums to net asset value for most of the year at a massive scale. Their stakes in Solana, Avalanche, and Polkadot have skyrocketed, and Suju's got no problem changing allegiances, calling it like he sees it, and kicking the hornet's nest. Then there's CMS Holdings. Nobody in crypto has more fun than the Penguins, and they tend to go big with everything. CMS popularized the hot ball of money meme in the beginning of this year. He sent $5,000 worth of Girl Scout cookies to one of our analysts. He relentlessly mocks bears and paper-handed traders. He bought a 7-inch cube. 
pays people to take Twitter shit-talking to live debates. Rumor has it he even bid on a dinosaur. If true, that may have been his only mistrade of the year. CMS and team may also be the fastest traders and most responsive investors in crypto. Nice byproduct of not having to manage other people's money. May you all have as much fun in the new year as CMS has every day. 2.3, Emily Choi of Coinbase. One of the things I find most remarkable about Coinbase is how resilient they have been amidst the near full turnover of their leadership team in recent years. Aside from Brian Armstrong, nearly no one from the early days is left on staff. Fred Ersom remains on the board, but his attention is on scaling venture fund paradigm. Many other employees in the Coinbase mafia have gone on to start new companies or venture funds. I would argue two people outside of Brian who have been most responsible for the company's ongoing success have been former CTO Bailaji Srinivasan, who despite his short one-year tenure, helped steer the company in the right multi-asset strategic direction as 50% of Coinbase revenue now comes from trading pairs beyond Bitcoin and ETH. And Emily Choi, whose business development and mergers and acquisitions shops quickly catapulted her into the president and COO role at the company. The backstory behind Coinbase Ventures is pretty remarkable. No full-time employees born a day after Emily brought the idea to Armstrong, now one of the most active investors in crypto, etc. But it's the large-scale corporate M&A the company has done that's been even more impressive. The company's Earn.com acquisition was largely considered to be a $100 million acquihire of Biology as CTO. But Earn has now done $43 million in high-margin revenue in the first nine months of the year. Bison Trails, which the company views as a potential AWS-level bet on hosted blockchain infrastructure, now powers the Coinbase cloud product and its $325 million in run-rate staking revenue. The company's $55 million Zappo purchase in 2019 snagged Grayscale as a customer and doubled Coinbase's assets under custody. Custodial revenues are now $120 million annualized. The core's exchange transaction revenues will continue and be the engine of the business for the foreseeable future. Coinbase's distribution and regulatory positioning means they can make other major accretive purchases in the new year as well. Some, like Neutrino, Compliance Tech, and Agara, Machine Learning for Customer Service, might upgrade to the back office, but I'd expect the bigger deals to open up new revenue lines like a Plaid for Crypto, Zabo or institutional data licenses skew. The inorganic growth strategy is hardly unique to Coinbase, but the early wins under Emily are impressive, something startups should keep in mind as both an opportunity and a threat. 2.4, Devin Finzer of OpenSea. As a fortunate early investor in the company, hashtag humblebrag, I can tell you I've never before seen a financial profile that looks like OpenSea's. The world's dominant NFT marketplace is raking in cash, hand over fist amidst NFT euphoria, though competition is coming. Coinbase has 3 million users on a waiting list for its soon-to-be-launched NFT platform, four times OpenSea's aggregate historical users. FTX rolled out a platform for Solana-based NFTs. Gemini already has Nifty Gateway. Other exchanges will almost universally follow suit with products of their own. Then there's the open multi-source tokenized competitors who are lurking, like Infinity and the phantom-based Andre Cronjay project, Ardeon. Since I'm already privy to a tiny bit of private information, I won't speculate on what next year will look like, as I wouldn't want accurate guesses to look like inside baseball after the fact. 
but I'll at least provide some thoughts on the company's current trajectory and the future of NFT marketplaces at a more conceptual level later in Chapter 6. For now, I'll just say how impressive OpenSea has been in scaling through the chaos, keeping the site humming amidst exponential month-over-month and market growth and the occasional bugs and surging Ethereum gas prices, an unfortunate employee controversy over flipping NFTs the company was curating for its homepage, the distracting drumbeat of new competitor announcements, Devin and team have marched on seemingly unfazed. I think OpenSea could be a $100 billion company or network eventually, and their critics underestimate their head start. I watched the same thing happen with Coinbase. I'm hardly an impartial critic, but it's been a losing move historically to bet against category leaders with great teams, and that's OpenSea in a nutshell. Check out Devin's two bankless podcasts from March and October to get a sense for OpenSea's progression. And of course, go bid on an NFT in this report. 2.5, Dan Robinson and Dave White of Paradigm. More investors, come on. Well, yes and no. Last year, I featured Paradigm's white hat hacker, Samson, in our top 10, and he had another banner year saving DeFi users from nine-figure hacks, even when those exploits happen to direct competitors. Samson now sits atop the Ethereum Foundation's bounties leaderboard. He's not your typical GP. I'd apply the same filter to Paradigm's nominations this year, given how prolific they've been in producing token economic research for some important financial primitives in DeFi and NFTs. The Uniswap V3 automated market maker, which we'll go into deeper detail on in Chapter 7, was largely spawned by Paradigm's Dan Robinson. Things like floor perps, synthetics that allow NFT holders to borrow against assets, and Ricks and Mortys, NFT fractionalization primitives aim to tackle illiquidity challenges in the NFT markets. Power perps, liquid options like exposure without the need for strikes and expiries, TWAMM, large AMM orders spread out over time, and everlasting options co-written with FTX's Sam Bankman-Fried could bring larger and more sophisticated investors to DeFi markets. Those last six were authored and co-authored by Dave White, who joined in January. The useful research output from Paradigm's team is pretty insane, actually, and that's only the stuff we know about so far. I'm looking forward to see what they have up their sleeves for 2022. Section 2.6, Jeff Zerlin, the Jiho, Axie Infinity. The Jiho rewrote the playbook on crypto community building this past year. The mission, conquer the gaming world, the secret weapon, an unassuming Pokemon-like Trojan horse of an NFT card game that would catapult Axie Infinity to the top of the crypto realm. As head of growth and community at Sky Mavis, the game studio behind Axie, Jeff discovered and cultivated a new untapped audience for Axie's play-to-earn game in the Philippines. Every day, thousands of people there play Axie for fun and as an income subsidy. Philippines is now home to 40% of the entire Axie user base, and Sky Mavis recently eclipsed 1 million daily active users. Axie evangelists are hardly in short supply, as the native token AXS, whose design was spearheaded by Jeff, returned 125,000% in the past year. Not a typo, 1,250x. But some fans are adamant that Axie may end up only being a footnote in the long game G and team are playing. Axie Infinity itself was a bootstrapping mechanism for Sky Mavis's Ronin Exchange, an Ethereum-like sidechain designed to facilitate cheap and gamer-friendly transactions. Ronin has generated a billion dollars in revenue since May, holds more than $9 billion in assets, and is the second largest blockchain by NFT secondary sales. 
Sky Mavis is one of the fastest growing game studios in history and recently secured a $152 million Series B led by A16Z. The company put the finishing touches on the walled garden it erected with Ronin, then launched a token, Ron, and decentralized exchange, Katana, this fall. They're now positioned to launch an entirely new studio of Web3-oriented games and applications to hungry and wealthy fans. Axie's success has catapulted an entire new genre, crypto gaming and subgenre play-to-earn games into relevance, with some $1.4 billion in funding flooding into related NFT projects in Q3 alone. Meanwhile, Ronin has become one of the case studies for modular scaling in crypto. Not bad for a product built under the guise of a fluffy cartoon card game. Section 2.7, Jay Graber, Blue Sky, and Tess Reinerson, Twitter. If any big tech company disrupts itself in a meaningful way with Web3 tech, it will likely be the under-monetized, founder-led social media company with the most thoughtful crypto backer. I'm talking, of course, about Meta. Curveball! When I started writing this section, I expected a 30-minute review and quick entry on Jay Graber, taking over Twitter's Blue Sky initiative this summer. Jay decentralizes Twitter with a Mockingjay avatar was my placeholder and starting bias. When I started to actually dig in on Blue Sky, what I found was a bit different. There's been relatively little movement within the Blue Sky community so far. Compare their GitHub slash GitLab to DMs which made me wonder whether Twitter was serious in its efforts to disrupt itself and unlock its honeypot of user data. Jay is awesome, but is Blue Sky for real or a shallow sandbox? Perhaps the full-stack decentralized media play wasn't an appropriate near-term end goal for Twitter, given crypto's current throughput constraints. It was likely premature to hold that expectation on such an early-stage project like Blue Sky. Instead, the project appears to be focused first on connecting data between other decentralized platforms like Mastodon, IPFS, Audius, etc. That is interesting, and it's an important bit of foundational work for the decentralized web. It's just not as self-disruptive for Twitter as I thought at first. Yet. Doesn't seem like Amazon faces any meaningful Web3 threats right now, perhaps AWS in the longer term. Google Search and Microsoft Office may have impregnable walls, Apple is still dominant in hardware, first and foremost. YouTube could theoretically incorporate Web3 components, but that seems unlikely as they already split revenue with creators stingily. On the other hand, Facebook, aka Meta, is different. Their rebrand isn't just an embrace of a Web3 future. It's a flight to higher ground, born out of political necessity, survival even. Will we see Libra, DM, Novi meaningfully integrated into Facebook's I mean, Meta's Messenger and WhatsApp products, they're trying. Will we see NFTs built into Instagram or Oculus? Most likely, if $10 billion a year is the real number they're targeting for Metaverse investments. Will Facebook's Blue App open its back end and begin to allow its users to license their data directly to third parties? Maybe, if the other bets pan out. Could the Meta Meta game plan B to monetize the platform's under-monetized networks first? and pave the way for the impossible self-disruption of Facebook's current ad-driven business. I'm not a Mark Zuckerberg apologist. I simply think that necessity is the mother of invention. Past performance is a good predictor of future success, and no one else in big tech has all of the ingredients to go hard after Web3 as part of their core business model. It's the holidays. Give Mark a chance to stage a Grinch-like comeback. I'm lukewarm on Twitter's actual embrace of decentralizing technologies outside of Jack's Bitcoin obsession, 
But again, it all comes down to Jay and the Blue Sky team. I'm hoping they surprise us. Update. Surprise us they did. When I wrote this a few weeks ago, Tess Reinerson's hire had not yet been announced as head of engineering at Twitter Crypto. That got my attention. I'm much more excited about Blue Sky slash Twitter in 2022 now that there are two related teams, one of which is a dedicated in-house team reporting to the CTO. Update, update. Jack just resigned. The non-Bitcoin floodgates are open. Watch Jay and Tess closely. 2.8, Kristen Smith, the Blockchain Association, and Katie Hahn, A16Z. I've got a meaty policy section on the docket this year for a reason. With three years left in the Biden administration and the successful passage of a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill and its disastrous crypto provisions, there is a lot riding on our industry's policy leaders. It's no small task either, given how small their current ranks are. That makes Kristen Smith and Katie Hahn critical players in the new year. Kristen runs the industry's largest dedicated trade association, the Blockchain Association. It's regarded as the most credible corporate member effort in D.C., and Kristen's team was one of the driving forces behind the furious 11th-hour negotiations to amend the crypto broker language during floor debates this summer. While the effort failed, barely, the fight helped the B.A. add serious financial resources and talent depth. Membership fees have soared 3x, and she added full-time staff like former Compound General Counsel Jake Shervinsky, and new government affairs lead Dave Grimaldi this fall. The problem with coalitions, though, is the time and energy it takes to manage the diverse personalities. For instance, the BAA counts Ripple as a member, which creates headaches. Its addition of Binance US as a member in the 2020 rankled Coinbase to such a degree that the latter dropped support and has since opted to drive their own policy agenda and back other organization, the Crypto Council for Innovation, with Ribbit, Square, Paradigm, and others. Last I heard, though, CCI has yet to hire an executive director, so the coalition has many months of infrastructure building ahead before it can approach parity with the BA. That brings us to Katie Hahn and the policy team she assembled at A16Z. The former federal prosecutor, Coinbase board member, and now general partner at A16Z's Mammoth Crypto Fund has recruited a former Hillary Clinton and Biden advisor, a former crypto specialist from Treasury, and a former SEC and CFTC commissioners as advisors. A16Z has a megaphone with tremendous reach, and their policy work thus far has been fast. The Web3 policy hub they unveiled recently has good starting materials for policymakers, most notably a deck that lays out why crypto should be a policy priority for lawmakers, which specific legislative proposals and working language could form the backbone of new crypto laws that address core policy concerns without crippling the industry, and how staffers can get educated and play catch-up on crypto. We need unity and speed right now. The BA and A16Z approaches give us a good one-two punch going into the new year. Masari Enterprise unlocked the full potential of Masari with Enterprise. Coverage includes network updates, token listing, attacks and vulnerabilities, governance proposals, technical upgrades, and much more. Receive 15% off with offer code theses underscore 2022. Continuing on with Section 2.9, Commissioner Hester Pierce of the SEC. Crypto Mom may have been a fitting nickname for Pierce during Chair Jay Clayton's tenure. These days, she's more like Lord Commander of Crypto's Night Watch. 
In the Clayton era, the SEC was hardly a paragon of pro-growth crypto policy, but at least the commission avoided actively pursuing harmful, systematic over-regulation of markets they didn't yet understand. Today, winter is coming, and Pierce is the last line of defense versus the soulless, melanin-resistant white walker that is Chair Gensler, a man whose life mission is to become Treasury Secretary by any means necessary, even if that means crippling an emerging industry that sets back American tech by a decade. I'm still just warming up more in Chapter 4. Pierce criticized the SEC's enforcement action against Poloniex for its lack of clarity. She's been a voice of dissent, advocating for spot crypto ETFs since 2018. She's been outspoken about improving investment access for non-millionaires, recognizing that private markets are where all growth has been in U.S. markets for years. She's done that while also staying true to the SEC's investor protection mandate, advocating for modernization of reporting rules and a regulatory beach with lifeguards versus a regulatory sandbox treating adults like kiddos. Pierce's voice has been a welcoming source of self-awareness, competence, and restraint emanating from D.C., it's the voice of someone who's done their homework and works to find solutions versus sweeping restrictions against anything that appears new and useful. Pierce said, when confronted with new technologies, new products, and new ways of doing things, the regulator's tendency is to say no instead of yes, to say stop instead of go, and to see danger instead of possibility. The SEC's focus is appropriately on investor protection, particularly retail investor protection and market integrity, but... Investor opportunity matters too. By investor opportunity, I mean the chance for investors to try new products and services to include in their portfolios new types of assets to use the latest technologies to get in on the ground floor of new opportunities to experiment and learn from investment successes and failures. Investors want protection from fraud and easy access to robust disclosures, but they also want to be able to interact with their financial firms using the latest technologies to have access to the full range of investment opportunities and to take charge of their financial future by spending their hard-earned money as they see fit. Investors at times may be willing to take on more risk than the regulator thinks is prudent, a healthy regulatory response would resist the urge to override investor decisions and instead engage and educate investors using the same technologies through which they are investing. Yes, please, more of this. Crypto investors notice and appreciate thoughtful policy. Crypto entrepreneurs notice too. Crypto lawyers like it when policy leaders propose workable legal solutions. We want more of this. Pierce's thoughts on token shilling, touting securities without disclosing the fact that you are getting paid and how much violates the law. Nevertheless, we are disappointed that the commission's settlement did not explain which digital assets touted were securities, an omission which is symptomatic of our reluctance to provide additional guidance about how to determine whether a token is being sold as a part of securities offering or which tokens are securities. More of this. Pierce then went on to say, on registration-only enforcement actions, registration violations, even standing alone, are serious, and our enforcement actions can serve to deter such violations and protect harmed investors. 
We should strive to avoid enforcement actions and sanctions, however, that enervate innovation and stifle the economic growth that innovation brings. Entrepreneurs may be forced to choose between unpalatable options, expending their limited capital on costly legal consultation and compliance, or foregoing their pursuit of innovation due to fear of becoming subject to an enforcement action. A regulatory safe harbor could resolve this unhappy dilemma. More of this. Pierce finished on paternalism saying, we're not a merit regulator, so we shouldn't be in the business of deciding whether something is good or bad. An investor is thinking of their entire portfolio, and sometimes we're thinking in one-off terms of a particular product on its own. We forget people are building portfolios. Most crypto professionals welcome thoughtful regulation. So long as we believe it will be fairly and consistently applied, it's technically feasible, and it doesn't violate the Constitution. Pierce is starting to win over open-minded policymakers because her positions are clear, consistent, and solutions versus jurisdiction-minded. We want and need her defending the wall. Section 210, Duquan Terraform Labs. At the time of writing this section, November 8th, 2021, I knew I wanted to highlight the fastest horse of the year in the competitive Layer 1 race. Ethereum had rallied nearly 10x on the year, which is nothing to sneeze at, but the real story of 2021 was Ethereum's block space congestion, high fees, and the subsequent explosion of its Layer 1 competitors. Avalanche is up 25x year over year, Solana and Polygon 110x, Phantom 160x, but it's Terra that has reigned supreme with a staggering 170x return. I include Doe here for other reasons too. Number one, Terra is one of the largest crypto investment plays in Asia, and it's the project in the top 10 layer ones with the deepest presence in the enormous Korean crypto market. Number two, Terra is actually being used at scale as collateral for the second largest crypto collateralized stablecoin, UST which now sits at $7.2 billion in market cap, up from $0 last fall. Number three, the breadth of Terra infrastructure, Anchor for Lending, Vega for Derivatives, Mirror for Synthetic Securities, Mars for AMM, rivals that of any other blockchain not named Ethereum and may sit on a more stable, interoperable technical foundation Cosmos Interblockchain Communications Protocol for the long term. Most importantly, Du gets the nod here versus Rivals because of his willingness to punch back. After getting served a subpoena at Mainnet 2021, mere minutes before coming on stage with me for a panel, he brushed it off and decided to take the fight to the SEC with a lawsuit of his own. It's a fight he might win, and an encouraging one to see fought regardless of the outcome. Honorable mentions, there are many people within crypto who could easily make the top 10 list each year, but no one has made my list twice. Folks who easily could have made repeat appearances this year include Phylogy, whose encyclopedia knowledge and raw processing power is a marvel, Sam Bankman-Fried, who had plenty of write-ups already as the world's wealthiest person under 30, and Michael Saylor, who's increasingly looking like he might be on the winning side of one of the ballsiest corporate trades of all time. Also, a special shout-out is in order for the bankless duo Ryan Sean Adams and David Hoffman, who have been right about ETH but do not make the cut because I think they've been right for the wrong reasons and have created the highest signal podcast in crypto, one of the few things I consume religiously.